Well, everyone, welcome to the Backhanders, bringing you all the ins and outs from the great game of tennis, covering each tennis slam as well as the French Open and unafraid to slam tennis. My name is Lightning, and with me, a man with more colourful language than Nadal's outfit and insights more reminiscent of Federer's attire, Catter's comment allez-vous? <laughs> Lightning, so good to be with you, mate. I'm, I'm excited on this uh, post-tournament chat. And I'll tell you why I'm excited, because I think we've witnessed our last ever French Open. Is that right? And it has got me extremely, extremely aroused at the tantalizing thought that next year we only have to cover three legitimate slams. <laughs> we we talked earlier in, la- in last week's episode, we talked about the fact that the players were cottoning on to the prophetic abilities, the predictive abilities of the podcast to tell them basically that this is a rubbish tournament, start pulling out. And they did in the droves with illnesses, faked injuries, whatever they could do. They were leaving en masse. And then this week, I don't think it would be overplaying it to say that God stepped in and we saw post-apocalyptic conditions. God was smiting the organizers of this event. Unbelievable. I thought I was watching Mad Max 5, Final Duel on the Devil's Dirt Dance Floor. It was incredible. As a bit of a film buff, I even loved the fact that they incorporated the tornado scene from The Wizard of Oz. We had <laughs> yes. winds going berserk. I was half <laughs> expecting Charlton Heston to come down from the stands and throw two stone tablets. It was going post-apocalyptic crazy. And uh, I can only assume that this is the last time that we will see anyone stepping foot onto the devil's dirt because it was ridiculous. The winds, you could hardly even play out there. It was intense just to show again that everybody had completely lost the plot look no further than Tsitsipas who in his match against Stan Wawrinka at one point he was going so crazy he turned to his father in the stands and said get out of my sight you zombie (laughs) well the fact that Tsitsipas is seeing zombies at his match That's right. is a sign that we've, we have reached the end times. What a way to go out, French Open. We hardly knew you. It's been great. <laughs> well, there you go. We, you've, you've called it, Catters. The, the end. The end is nigh. French Open, au revoir. It was, it was something else. It was something else. And, and what, what a way to go out with our Ash, Ash Barty, taking the flippin' title. Unbelievable. Incredible. Few predicted it. And the former world number eight, now current world number two, Ash Barty has taken out the French Open. Incredible scenes. And, of course, Nadal rolled in, uh, took his 12th and uh, wandered home. So totally contrasting results to have a, a first-timer and then a, a Nadal who's won 12 French Open crowns. Yeah, and I mean, it was also just a testament to the fact that the tournament organizers were trying to blow up their own tournament by putting the only interesting side of of the draw, the women's contest, out on the most obscure courts possible, even at a semi-final level. I think Ash Barty, she, where was she playing? She was playing... It was in a neighboring country, It was, actually. It? Yes. It was, she was on court. Essentially, it was the equivalent to courts two and three 
It was unbelievable. Only 5,000 seat stadiums for the semi final. The precursor to the final is out on a backcourt where only their parents were able to attend. It was incredible scenes. Incredible scenes. The fact that it was on a badminton court is a testament to her ability to adjust. You have to play the conditions as they are. Apparently she requested for it to be played on grass and that was part of her, her punishment. But they didn't put her out on a... Ash Barty, who famously said, every week on clay is one week closer to grass. The current French Open champion saw this tournament as nothing more than a small speed hump to where she actually wants to be. I love that that someone who's as critical of the devil's dirt as we are is now holding up the flippin' French Open trophy. I've got nothing in my head. I'm just really excited and I want to hug the whole stadium. Well, whilst it sounds like an oxymoron, Catters, what got you excited about the French Open? Someone who, look, I've been critical of him in the past, but only because I see great potential in him. Sasha Zverev, I see great potential in him as more of a model um, in his post-tennis retirement. <laughs> but whilst he's on court, he uh, he's decided that he needs a coach and he's chosen one Evan Lendl. Mm who we all know was incredibly talented in his day. Now, the interesting thing about choosing Lendl as a coach was that, unfortunately, Lendl didn't attend the tournament. Now, I'm all for the hands-off approach to coaching. I know that, but Lendl has said, you know what, let's not risk being fined or cautioned for me giving you a signal in the stands. I'm going to stay in another country. And what I love about it is, I think his official line was, that he couldn't come to the French Open because he was suffering from hay fever. Yes. Yet he was he was available to speak to Sasha over the phone whilst on the golf course. Correct. <laughs> so he has the most obscure form of hay fever I've ever... He's got clay fever, which I've been suffering from for a good 35 years. <laughs> Can I just say, on Zvarev, he was without Ivan. You can't blame a guy for not being able to fire on all cylinders without that beautiful, beaming Lendl smile behind you when required. (laughs) But Zvarev wasn't alone at the French Open. Were you aware that Zvarev's dog, Lovic, comes with him everywhere, including, apparently, gets his own tournament pass to every tennis tournament that he's played in. Apparently he has a Louis Vuitton dog carrier that this dog goes in. So Dad said he didn't have a van with him, but he had a puppy that he carries in a suitcase. That is insane. But it wouldn't surprise me if the tournament director had actually requested that to help bump up the numbers in the stands. <laughs> Four legs. Yeah, we can count that as two people. <laughs> and could be an afternoon cuisine if they were short too in the cafe. Knowing the way the French were cooking in the media center, I would not put it past them. When you're going into a slam with a terrible record of Grand Slams generally, the last thing you want is a distant father figure (laughs) allowing it to go straight to voicemail. (laughs) Apparently, Lendl thought that he could coach Zverev only through the art form of emojis. (laughs) 
Which is ironic, considering Ivan Lendl didn't have any emotions. It's his only way of expressing himself emotionally. I mean, Zverev went into the biggest match of his career, the quarterfinal against Djokovic, with nothing but the contemplative yoga emoji, a arrow hitting the bullseye, and a smiling turd. What was he meant to do with that? No wonder he looked confused deep in the second set. So what are you excited about, Lightning? Kat, it's obvious. I'm excited about Ash Barty. Uh, Ash Barty has just taken out the French Open, which is devastating for the Australian cricket team. They were going to try and recruit her for their current World Cup. But alas, she played through the French against her will to become the first French Open champion as an Australian since Margaret, I refuse to let two men court... (laughs) Court in 1973. So for, you know, 46 years in the making, an Australian is now holding the French Open crown. Unexpected. It was totally unexpected. Barty was amazing. It was such a good story. But you've got to go back to the semi-final to appreciate how impressive it is that she actually has the title. That was one of the most incredible topsy-turvy games I have ever seen. Yeah. Semi-final against a 17-year-old, Anna Samova. She's up five love. She came out Chong style like a rocket. (laughs) Five love. Could not do a thing wrong. I think she won 20 of the first 23 points. Yep. Was just untouchable and lost the first set. Had two consolidated breaks and would lose the first set. She then is down three love in the second set and then reels off the next six games to win the second set 6-2. She's then down a break again in the third and comes back and wins at 6-3. It was unbelievable. And that was the semi-final just to get there. So a great story and has become the first Aboriginal Australian since Yvonne Goolagong Corley in 1971 to win the crown. And of course, that just makes her an even greater inspiration to our First Nations people in Australia. So how could you not be excited about that, Catters? I mean, it's just an incredible story. Would it be premature for Barty to show up on centre court at Wimbledon, wearing a cape that says goddess. <laughs> at what point are you allowed to do that in one's tennis journey? Katas, I'm very keen to hear from you as to some of the matches that have really grabbed your attention. So, of course, we've a couple of good champions, a couple of amazing finals, but were there other matches that really grabbed you? Well, I think the, the the match that I'm most excited about from this year's French Open would have had to have been the Varinka Sitsipas. Mm. Just an epic, epic battle. Huge five-setter. Did you see Warinka obviously beat Sitsipas? For Warinka to have won the tournament, he would have had to have beat Sitsipas, then Federer, then Nadal, and then Djokovic. He he essentially had to play the greatest players of the modern era, if not of all time. It was just incredible. Apparently he would then have had to have played Pete Sampras and Agassi in a doubles match, (laughs) uh, in an American doubles match. He then would have had to have played Bowser from the end of Mario Brothers. Yes. Uh, I think he'd then have to present his case before a panel of judges. And then it was was a final back nine against Lendl, I hear, to decide. (laughs) For me, Cutter's Nadal fed was 
was an epic, not so much because of the game itself. Uh, In fact, the first set was disastrous. It was just shanks everywhere. Because of the post-apocalyptic winds you've talked about, the fact that there was, you know, a Wicked Witch of the West going around and a cow floating around. I think that's unfair on Maria Sharapova, personally. (laughs) But, I mean, it was something out of a country and western. It was just amazing. And, and, I mean, Curios felt a little bit uh, envious not being there because... The wind was throwing the chairs and <laughs> and umbrellas around, and he wasn't able to do the biz. Apparently, players were thinking of using uh, welding masks at one point. Like that, that the dirt flying around the place was just obscene. And so, considering that, Nadal just took his game to a whole other level. So it's been well established that he's probably one of the greatest players in wind of all time. But he served at eighty-one percent. In a cyclone. I mean, that is craziness. Federal went at about 61%, but he, he nailed 72 out of 88 first serves. The question then should be raised, what natural disaster could stop Rafa Nadal? Should there be a natural disaster Grand Slam whereby, you know, what would it look like if he took on a tsunami in the Australian Open? I don't think that would put him off his game. Light the grass on Wimbledon on fire and make him play over that? Yes. Well, it's now, I mean, Nadal is literally unbeatable at Roland Garros. So maybe rather than players, just have him take on the elements. <laughs> I think you know? that it's a far more compelling matchup these days because there's nobody, no humans are going to match him. Fascinatingly, and looking into this, Fed actually hasn't lost to Nadal in five years. I wasn't mm. aware of that. And Fed has remodeled his game to be able to beat Nadal. He's got a better, he's got a bigger racket. He's added more power to his game. He's taking drugs. Yeah, correct. He's on the roids. He's tanked up, <laughs> and he is ready to take him down. And, uh, and and that's I suppose what was so incredible is this match felt like destiny for Fed to return to clay, which was clearly one of the only reasons he was there. To, to, to try and topple the one thing that's been unconquerable for him, and that's Nadal. And Nadal just pulled it out of his pulled it out of his date. Yeah, which is incredibly hard when you consider how firm the wedgie is that he's usually sporting on center court. <laughs> Correct. Exactly. How does he pull anything out of that thing? <laughs> you have to start asking, is Nadal actually human? The game should have been given away with a name like Raphael and the grimace that he does with the serve, that he may well be a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle. <laughs> he seems like a clay robot from the future. He is unstoppable, and it is scary to think. With French Opens alone, he would be fourth on the all-time men's slam winners list. He would be fifth. He would be fifth, but he would be behind one Rafa Nadal, so he would actually be fourth. <laughs> right. Right. It's just insane. <laughs> well, here's, here's some stats to show you how relentless this bloke is. He has a 99-0 win-loss ratio when he wins the first set on clay. 99-0. He has a 91-2 record at the French Open. 91-2. And apparently he breaks back, here's this, 39% of the time after he's been broken, he breaks back. Almost 40% of the time. That is just so far ahead of anyone else in the men's game. It's unbelievable. And and so he dished out to Fed his heaviest loss. Uh, That was uh, Federer's heaviest loss, apparently since he lost his virginity, I think. So that's um, (laughs) quite incredible. 
I'll give you the racket, and we'll see how many times see how many times you can return your serve. Also, okay, but you're, you're a professional tennis player. I'm not. Okay. 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 Roger Federer. Year after year, Grand Slam after Grand Slam. I mean, you make it look so easy, and obviously mm. it isn't. How do, how do you keep doing it? Yeah, look, uh, there's no secret behind it. You know, I mean. Definitely a very talented player. <laughs> so Cutter's fed up and poo down. I wonder though if uh, after what Fed wore with his turd-coloured clothes, it's more of a poo or poo down. But Cutter's who for you is your fed up? Yes, Lightning, it's quite simple for me. This year, this French Open, my fed up goes to one K Nishikori. Mm. Uh the Japanese master, coached by one of my favorite 90s players, Michael Chang. Yes. Was also brilliant in Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. <laughs> and uh, who would have thought short round could have won uh, the French himself against a beefed up Ivan Lendl, twice his height, back when Lendl had an interest in showing up to Roland Garros. Um, but Kei Nishikori, love him. I love the tenacity. I love his ability to win Big games, five setters. He pulled out all stops. If you look at his tournament, breezed through the first round. Second round was more difficult. He played Joe Wilfred Songer. Yeah, huge game. Yeah, that's no easy matchup uh, on Songer's home court. And got through him in four sets. Then played a long five-setter in the fourth round. Won 8-6 in the final set. And then Mm. got through another hometown hero, Benoit Paire, beat him 7-5 in the fifth set. So for me, Nishikori is my fed up. For Poo Down, my Poo Down this time is Kei Nishikori. What an absolute idiot. Seriously. (laughs) Can you not get yourself together for the big matches? You're beating people who don't matter in five sets. You do not know how to close out a simple three-setter. You're wasting unnecessary energy in the early rounds, and then you're showing up to a quarterfinal on the main court and losing to Rafa Nadal like an absolute loser. Five games you managed across three sets against Rafa Nadal. Learn to play the big matches. Are you Thomas Burdich in a different suit? Seriously, stop choking when it counts. I know I'm sounding a little bit like Gollum here. Gollum likes Kei Nishikori. He's reliable. He always gets to the quarterfinals. But Schmeagel thinks he chokes when it counts. Schmeagel doesn't like how he matches up against the big three. But 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 Kei, he's he's very bankable in the early rounds. I, I'm losing my mind, Kei Nishikori. Oh, she's a very, very complex... Fed up and poo down from you this week, Cutters. Yes. Wow. How about yourself, Lightning? What is your fed up and poo down? For me, fed up, there were two teenage sensations that rose up the ranks this year. And one of them was Amanda Anasimova. She got to the semis and as a 17-year-old took out a red-hot defending champion, Simona Halep. So she's the youngest current player in the top 100 and now semi-finalist. So born in 2001, the first semi-finalist to reach there, born this millennium. So incredible, like a 17-year-old. When she was born, Federer was much older. So that's just (laughs) incredible. What a stat. The king of stats. The hot numbers at your fingertips. Well done. For me, my poo down 
Uh, I, I couldn't look anywhere on the men's side because the men had just a fantastic tournament this year. The top 10 all made it through to the fourth round, which was absolutely incredible. The top five all made it through to the quarters. So I had to look to the women's side, and the obvious one for me is Ostapenko. Now, she may be well known to some and not others. She is a former champion French Open player. She took it out a couple of years ago. However, Catters, she has entered the French Open four times. She has seven wins to her name. That's not bad. It's not bad, but all of those wins came in one year. The other three years, first round exits previous champion so when you talk about a golem character she is one right there she cannot decide whether she wants to win the freaking tournament or avoid the freaking tournament and get out of there and go home and this year she got out of there and got home so ostapenko for me you are my poo down she may well be relegated in history in 20 years to nothing but a foot fungal condition with a name like ostapenko (laughs) So she might want to pull her finger out in the forthcoming tournaments. Love it. I didn't understand a word you're saying, but it was, it's not important. Cutters, the French Open is famous for throwing up all sorts of surprises. Well, for this time, the wildcard segment, usually owned by yourself. I'm going to throw you one this week. Ooh, I'm going to throw you some trivia. Great. Who was the last Australian to win the French Open? Ash Barty, 2019. Fickle. Prior to this week, Catters, who was the last Australian to win the French Open? And that's why in the pre-production meetings that we rarely have, I'm responsible for the wild card. (laughs) Catters, play along. Uh, Prior to that, who was the last Australian to win a French Open? And clue, we may have even mentioned this earlier in this actual episode, Catters. Well, I'm going to have to go with our greatest ever Grand Slam champion, one Margaret Court. Well, (laughs) according to the actual trophy known as the Coupe Suzanne Lenglen, it is not. What? Because, Katis, have you heard of Sue Barker? Yeah, yeah. I'm pretty sure she was one of my primary school teachers. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Sue Barker won the 1976 French Open. However... The people that did the inscription on the actual trophy wrote her nationality down as Australian. Yes. We'll take them however we can get them. Correct. The Brits will be loving it. She is from Great Britain. It should have had a GB next to it, and instead it had an A-U-S-T. And this has not been noticed for 40 years until Ash Barty picked up the trophy looked at it to see when the last Australian was and said, hang on, it's not Margaret Court as it should be. The year after Margaret Court won it, Sue Barker is apparently also an Australian. Are you serious? Yeah, but Katis, it doesn't stop there. One year later, 1977, the next year, Mima Jusovic, her name is misspelt. Her surname on the trophy is misspelt. Rather than having an A, it has an O. So the impending demise of this tournament, the writing had been on the wall for some time and it was misspelt. <laughs> Can you get anything right, Frenchies? I know. Well, give it, let me go one step further. So Please tell me that Rafa has been classified as Australian all these years. Please. 
I can't do that. I can't do that. However, I can tell you that the Ladies Open Doubles Cup, which itself is called the Coupe Simon Matou, that trophy only got created in 1990. They have misspelt the actual name of the trophy <laughs> on the trophy. <laughs> Unbelievable. Totally true story. And apparently has only all now just been uncovered. It also concerns me that it takes an Australian to start spell-checking French (laughs) errors from the 1970s. Has it come to this? You owe me an apology. I have never cheated in my life. Code violation. Verbal abuse. It's not touching the line. I mean, if we had Hawkeye... You would be so freaking embarrassed right now. It's now time for a very important segment. It's our Mixed Troubles segment because when the action is as lousy on court as it's been of late, when you're at the French Open and you're waiting for real tennis, the real action is off the court. So, Catters, we want to know who is fighting on, but more importantly, off the court. Lightning, a couple of quick updates. Uh, one was, what does Gem's life say to you does that mean anything to you that term Mm. no no tell me more okay well that is gems was an anagram for gail monfils and alina svitolina they were a couple they've been a couple for like the last 12 months they had their own instagram site gems life which would track the crazy hijinks that was happening on and off the court between the couple it was very lovey-dovey but we were following gems life and i went just to have a quick look and see how they were getting along in the city of love and it's shut no does not exist no catters so trouble in paradise for two of our well i was gonna say favorite players two players (laughs) do you have uh, any mixed troubles that have caught your eye there's there was one for me which was actually from the French Open which the match that wasn't a match and that was team versus Serena some of you will be across this it was just an incredible story that team had won his match was in the main press conference giving answering questions about the match as it was and then Serena essentially knocks on the door and says uh, can you wind this up and move it to another room? Because I've just been booted out of the French Open and I want to do my talk now. And so team had to cut his press conference short and move it to a smaller room down the road. Uh, it's just incredible. It's just incredible. So he's sitting in this room and he you should see, you've got to check out the footage. He just looks stunned. He could not believe it. It's just not done. And his line is just, it's just classic. He just looks at the bloke who opens the door and he says, is this a joke? Is it? Is this a joke? Which for me was hilarious but because I wasn't actually aware Austrians knew what a joke was. So for me, it was a learning experience. Whoopi Goldberg's been buying in from afar and saying, who is this bloke? No one even knows who this bloke is. It's just become become comical. So, Cadiz, what was your read on it? Well, when Whoopi, Bol- Whoopi Goldberg gets involved, <laughs> uh, they don't call her the Goldberg for nothing. <laughs> Uh, when she gets involved, then we really need to take note. I mean, the first thing I would say is that it has since been dispelled that it was Serena driving this. Yes. It was apparently the tournament organizers that were too afraid to confront her or wanted to create space or whatever. So what I took from it was more the fact that in some sort of Hulk-like transformation, you had Dominic Team. He is a really good English speaker. So he went from his yeah. classy British to just full 
rural Austrians in one sentence. So he was like, yes, well, I thought I was playing a rather, is this a joke? Get to the chopper. <laughs> it was unbelievable. Just incredible. Like he's like, what is going on here? This is not good enough. This is such a joke. I think his last line was, it's not a tournament. This is not a tournament. Get Whoopi on the phone. Sister Act 2 was not a joke. <laughs> yeah, and the guy calling her Whoopi Boldgerg is, is lecturing a guy on his English. <laughs> so, Catters, we've made some pretty bold predictions. We dared to put out there to our listeners who we thought would win the French Open. You suggested Simona Halep and Novak Djokovic would win the tournament. How do you reckon you went? Where, where did you go wrong? Well, I went wrong. I think we both went wrong with what the freak were we thinking betting against a guy who's won the tournament 11 times. <laughs> I mean, if ever there was a safe choice, it would have been Rafa Nadal. I'm just cursing myself for not having gotten on that Spanish horse. Uh, Djokovic, I thought, played well. You could arguably say that if the conditions were perfect and there wasn't wind, that he might have taken out team. Halep, uh, I thought she played well. I think she was just, mm. you know, beaten by a better player. And I think it would have been very few that would have predicted Barty going into this tournament. So, yeah, I'm letting myself off the hook. I had Kiki Burton's initially and midway through the tournament, I, I kind of moved to Osaka. So on the female side, neither of us were anywhere near the ballpark. I, I did predict Dominic team where he was my, my hope. So the fact that I got him through to the final, I was pretty happy with that. He's, he's an incredible clay quarter. He has a great game and we're going to see a lot more of him and whether he can begin transitioning over to other surfaces, we'll see. But he's, he's becoming a, a real quality player. And we do need to be pretty realistic that this is likely to be the last time we saw Roger Federer on the red clay. To hear that amazing chant. I mean, the crowd was so into him. And to hear them all just, Roger, Roger, which I think in French means piss off, actually. <laughs> um, we do need to acknowledge that this is likely to be the end for, for mm. the Fed at the French. So we'll see. He continues to surprise. But we now turn our attention away from the red clay and I can already feel myself feeling much lighter cutters. Green grass uh, awaits. The greener pastures are literally uh, are only a week away. We turn our attention to Queens, uh, which is the, the most the traditional lead-up tournament to Wimbledon. And then it's Wimbledon in only three weeks' time. And you'll hear from us again in, in that period because we'll be previewing Wimbledon, looking at all the uh, the up-and-coming events, some of the seeding questions. Can Curios do well at Queen's uh, and therefore get himself into some sort of seeding? At the moment, he sits at 36 in the world. There's all these kind of questions and storylines that will start unfolding and that don't have any devil's dirt floating around them. So we look forward to a change in scenery. Speaking of Devil's Dirt, uh, you mentioned to me last night on text while we were watching the final that something caught your attention from the trophy presentation. It was actually a couple of days ago, and I just found it really fascinating. So Ferrer, who was, has been one of the modern-day greats, who's was a French Open finalist, one of the 12 who've been done over by Nadal, and the French Open wanted to honour him. He's been a long-standing, a brilliant clay quarter, and uh, former world number one. So Ferret, they brought him out on court, which I thought was lovely, touching, showed a video, and then they presented him with 
some of the devil's dirt. It was a glass, a little glass vase of the surface, which I'm surprised he would want to be reminded about. He never actually won the tournament. I think that does sum it up because I was fortunate enough to see David Ferrer play up in Sweden at the Swedish Open and win it in a final and then also lose a final from memory against Robin Soderling. He was the perennial number four in the world. I think he spent most of his time around there, very consistent. But I just think nothing sums up his mediocrity like a red turd trophy. And I think he will put that on the mantelpiece. Just brings back great memories of who he was to us as a tennis player and what he gave us, which was, yeah. <laughs> well, Cutters, uh, we're going to sign off. And before we do, just a quick reminder, if you've been enjoying the backhanders, make sure you jump on Instagram or Facebook if it's your thing. But we're really trying to pump this thing out, get it out to a few more listeners. So if you've been appreciating it, pass it along. Tell some of your mates, get them involved in the backhanders journey and look Do us a favor if you can, jump on iTunes and give us a review because that gives us a chance to spread the backhander's word. So we've been enjoying the journey and enjoying having you along with us. So until next time, just remember, quiet please.